Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection. I'm Daniel Connolly, and you may notice this isn't the usual intro that we have for the show. That's because, if you haven't heard, UConn women's basketball is shut down for 14 days due to a positive COVID test within the program. That affects their first four games of the season, so their two non-conference matchups this weekend against Quinnipiac and Maine or Mississippi State are off. The December 4th game against Louisville, that's also off. Their Big East opener against Seton Hall on December 6th is postponed. Obviously, just tough news to hear, especially because we were so close to the season. But I think more importantly, just we hope that whoever tested positive is doing okay. They continue to do all right and hopefully don't have any symptoms or uh, aren't affected by this too badly and that everyone else around the program, in the program, and connected to the program stays safe and that it doesn't spread anymore. The news broke when we were recording our preseason predictions podcast, so it was me, Megan, and then also Dan Madigan. He's the third voice that you hear in our discussion. We really had no time to think about it or digest the news or anything like that. So what you hear is our unfiltered, raw reactions, and we try and make sense of it as we go along as we're recording. So that's what you'll hear first. I'm also going to leave in our basketball discussion that we had before the news happened. We thought that there was going to be a game on Saturday in case you want to kind of get away from all the bad news and just have a little bit of basketball talk if that's what you came to this podcast for. So if you want that, that'll be after our COVID discussion. But yeah, here's our reaction to the news in real time. We have literal breaking news as we're recording this podcast. It's 7.50 on Monday night. UConn women's basketball has shut down due to a positive COVID test from a member of the program, which means the first three games of the season that we just talked about are all postponed, canceled. If this is a little incoherent, I apologize. But so here's the statement from the team. The UConn women's basketball program has temporarily suspended team activities after a member of the program tested positive for COVID-19. Per university protocol, team activities will remain on hold for at least 14 days and will resume when it is deemed safe by medical professionals. The Huskies will not complete their first four previously scheduled announced game dates and any schedule adjustments will be announced at a later date. Give me thoughts, guys. (laughs) So as a basketball fan, this sucks. This is terrible. But as someone with a brain and, you know, how scary things are in the world right now, this is 100% the right decision to shut this down for two weeks. Hopefully it's contained as best as possible. and, And whoever has, you know, been exposed or has COVID is experiencing, you know, mild to no symptoms and and doing okay. Um, And that's the most important thing is, is the player's health, right? Like this is above whether they be Quinnipiac or Mississippi state or Louisville. It's, you know, these, we want these players to be healthy, enjoy their college experience. And hopefully if things go right, if enough chips fall the right way, play some basketball. But uh, my first thought is that I hope that everyone involved is okay and, and, and doing doing all right. Um, but as a basketball fan, it, it, it sucks. It's, you know, something to really look forward to each and every season. This is such an exciting team that we just talked about for 20, 25 minutes um, with, with Paige Beckers and, and Krista Williams and Nelson Nadota entering their junior season. So 
it's very unfortunate. It's just the way the world works right now, but kudos to UConn for following all the right steps, listening to the medical professionals to keep the student athletes as safe as possible. And, you know, hopefully two weeks from now, two weeks from today, we'll have another podcast and, and preview the season and go from there. And that's all we can do. Yeah, I think what Dan said is like the most important part, right? Like it, it sucks that there's not going to be basketball for two more weeks, but in the grand scheme of things, that really doesn't matter. And it's just important to like keep that in perspective. Someone in our like her hoops at Slack shared this quote from the Texas A&M coach uh, earlier this week. And I think it's probably something everyone should just be keeping in mind like going into the season. And he said that, you know, the number one goal this season should not be winning the national championship. It should be staying competitive, staying healthy, and just having a season for the players. So I think that's important perspective for everyone to be keeping just going into the season. But like Dan said, hopefully whoever has it, it's, it has COVID, it's mild. They don't have any symptoms. Hopefully as anyone that's been exposed doesn't catch it or also has mild symptoms and everyone stays healthy and can kind of resume Resuming play in two weeks is the best situation because it also means that it hasn't spread rapidly through the team. So hopefully we get basketball soon and everyone stays healthy. Uh, thank you both of you for more coherent thoughts than I had. Um, I agree with for sure on the points that hopefully uh, whoever tested positive is okay and is going to be all right. And I've just been really concerned with like someone like Gino Oriyama or Chris Daly not to get strung up by saying they're older, but they are closer to that at-risk group. So you really hope that they stay safe. And then just obviously there's, it's so much larger than just however many people are connected to the team, because a lot of the staff members and, and support staff goes home to their families. So then it's just a very, very large network that you talk about. And yeah, it's just if basically if you can't, I, I wonder if this is going to be a turning point for the Big East because not to trying to find the right way to say this, but not to make other cases seem less important or have anyone's health be regarded as less than another players just because one is historically good at basketball and the other may not. But I, I kind of hope, I guess what I'm trying to say is I hope this serves as a wake up call to the entire country and especially the big East that if it's happening to UConn women's basketball, how can you really pull this season off? Like four games just like that are gone. That leaves you with, I believe like three games before Christmas that and then you go into a Christmas break, and then if the players are going home for the holidays, how is there how how can you tell me there's not going to be a huge spike in positive cases if kids are going back home for the holidays where they're going to be with their families and even if they're being smart with it, just it's such it's just such a bad situation to be in and I think it's just a really bad sign for the rest of the season, basically. <laughs> I'm yeah. laughing because I'm in shock, not because I think this is funny, just, just no. to be clear. <laughs> yeah, and Dan, you're right. I mean, it's not valuing someone else more than another, but there's a certain 
level of respect that this program has. And it's the same as if there was a positive test for Duke basketball or Kentucky or the UConn men's team, you know, or this is going to raise some eyeballs, some eyebrows, and it's going to put a bigger spotlight on whether this is the right idea. And I'm not the one that can answer that question, but it's probably good to have the conversation again, because when things started ramping up two, three months ago, when players started coming back and and practicing, things were a lot better than they are now. So hopefully this inspires a new conversation and and lets the conferences and the NCAA take another look at this and, and see whether this is really worth doing. Um, And if they think it is what they could do to make it even safer for these student athletes and coaches, because that's what matters at the end. Just like Megan said, national championship, a final four does not matter. What matters is getting through the season, making sure all players and coaches are are healthy. That's it. Exactly. And I think you also have the point that like, this is a team in Connecticut, which is by far and large, one of the better states off in the country, even though things are definitely going up here, it's still way better off here than it is in a lot of other places in the country. So if it's happening here, it's for sure going to happen everywhere else in the country. Um, and, you know, when players went back to school, things were in a good spot. Now they're not. So it, it feels like there should have been probably a conversation weeks ago revisiting what the plan was. So hopefully this kind of maybe instigates that happening. Right. And kind of to Megan's point about how we're in Connecticut where the numbers are better, not great right now, but better than a lot of places. And obviously we don't know for sure, but from all accounts, it seems like the team was very serious about this. They took the restrictions imposed on them very seriously. I can imagine just with the level of seriousness that Oriem and his staff take to basketball, they're obviously taking the same approach to this. And it just goes to show you that it's not all about, oh, someone is being reckless or someone's not taking it seriously. Obviously, we don't know the details, but it's just, it could have just happened from living out your daily life, going to the grocery store from someone else in, from someone's family member that they live with. There's it like, just because someone tested positive doesn't automatically mean that UConn had the wrong protocols in place or someone on the team was doing something that they shouldn't have been or anything like that. Like obviously the virus doesn't care if you're a basketball player in college, if you're a professional athlete, if you're Tom Hanks, it like, it's just so unpredictable. And like if neither basketball team at UConn can even get to the start of the season without being shut down, then how can how can we have a season with where things are right now? I, I just don't, I, I've been on the fence about, can you really be playing games for any sport right now? And I think this has just pushed me over to, you can't have games if they're in their current format. I think if you're really serious about playing before January, it has to be in a bubble. I think that's the only option the big East has left. I agree. I think just in general, like, pushing towards us like you've seen how many teams and stuff have 
already had issues. I think, you know, that number we were talking about, I think it's 13 to play in, in the NCAA tournament. Like it sounds so low compared to your normal basketball season. But when you start to factor in how many issues there's been and we haven't even tipped off a season yet, like that number maybe starts to feel not so high. Like it's very possible that there's going to be teams that if the chips don't fall the right way, you're not going to get 13 games in. I mean, look at this. It's four games off the schedule already and already reduced schedule. So it's very quick easy to kind of fall into a place where you're not getting those games and yeah I mean I feel like just in general like the bubble idea should have probably been I know it's expensive but it should have been more relevant kind of going into the season right like we've seen sports play in a bubble like the NBA and the WNBA and they have no positive cases and things go smoothly and there's no issues and then we've watched all these sports that play not in a bubble and in college football the NFL MLB and there's been issues with every single one and to the extent those issues are addressed a lot. I think we've seen the NFL and college football like to turn a blind eye, it feels like, to what's going on in a lot of cases. But if you're going to enforce the two-week quarantine, which is what should be done in terms of everyone's health, but it's going to be really hard to take the right precautions for everyone's health and play a, or play a schedule, a full schedule with that mentality. Yeah, I think, I think especially with women's basketball, I think the conferences, every conference is going to make the bubble the last resort um, just because of the, the costs that, it, that go along with it. But I think there is a path for something that we saw, well, we didn't see, but it was announced with the soccer schedules, Dan, where they basically drew a line down the conference, down the Big East. There was like the Northeast and then the Midwest parts of the Big East. Um, if you break it down like that, those are very manageable trips. And when you combine that with college students are mostly going to be home uh, going forward and it's going to be, you know, less students on campus. Uh, I think there's an opportunity there if you can get accurate testing to do something uh, that is likely significantly cheaper uh, with similar results and with traveling by bus, you know, it would just be as simple as getting, waiting until those results come back um, and whatever they come back as positive or negative going off of that. But there's so many different ways to handle this. And, you know, hopefully the, the Big East and NCAA consult people a lot smarter than us to figure out a way to do this safely if they're going to commit to having a season. Um, but this is a big, this is a big blow. This, this is a real bummer, obviously. And also, um, I think really pokes a lot of holes in the argument that there's going to be a safe NCAA basketball season, men's or women's this year. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a very, very bad situation. And Megan, I know we talked about this last week on the podcast, but if we can just indulge ourselves a little bit and just think about the basketball aspect of it, even though it's takes a, it, it's of lesser importance here, but like we said, like UConn basketball is such a huge piece of getting through the winter and it's been obviously such a tough, long, what are we up to eight months now since the pandemic really hit in Connecticut. And this was something that obviously we were looking forward to as people who cover the team. Uh, I know every single fan was looking forward to it. So it's just disappointing in that aspect to just even even though that's of very, very little importance compared to the health of whoever tested positive for it, 
there still is a factor of disappointment with it. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the three of us are obviously very disappointed. I mean, all the fans are disappointed. But I feel like at some point, like with this year, I just have become desensitized to it. It's just like, oh, another thing going wrong. But I think it's still like something that a lot of people are looking forward to. And while health is obviously the most important thing, it still just really sucks. There's no like great way to put it. It just sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maddie, do you have anything else comment or should we just wrap it up here uh no i just just hope everyone's all right and i guess we'll be back in in two weeks to kind of talk about it more but um get to writing dan yeah hopefully hopefully we'll be back in two weeks to talk about the start of the season in a bubble like i don't know if i can morally support them continuing to play games on campus like i I think all of us were kind of happy to turn a blind eye to it, but now it's, it's a lot more tough. And I guess that that's unfair to say because there are other Big East programs that have been shut down and even the men's program at UConn has been shut down, but it is just, it becomes, I think that was just kind of a major thing when the pandemic hit is it becomes so much real when it starts to affect people that you know and um, kind of hits close to home. And I think it's kind of the same thing here. Yeah, and I think it's part of it is that, uh, you know, as writers, as fans, as people involved around the team, uh, we were so close to the finish line, right? Like we could see it. Yeah. We're, talk- we're talking about the Quinnipiac game next week uh, and, you know, talking about Mississippi State and, and, uh, and Louisville and all that. So, we're, you know, we're going to talk about our starting lineups that we wanted to see, right? So <laughs> we had a, we had a whole, we had a whole prediction podcast planned. We we were so close, and we you know we thought we made it to to the end to get the season started. Um, but it just shows you know to to stay vigilant, keep your guard up, you know, wear a mask when you go out in public, and uh, just stay safe out there. That that's really all it comes down to. Megan, any last thoughts? I really think we kind of hit it all. <laughs> Hopefully in two weeks we'll be back. It hasn't spread and we get to talk about the season. But like you said, hopefully there's some kind of new plan for the season because looking at how things are going right now, it just the current plan doesn't seem like it's going to work. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's going to do it for unequivocally, unequivocally the most bizarre episode of <laughs> Chasing Perfection. I'm going to splice in the start of our podcast into the end if you want a little bit of escape just to get maybe 10, 15 minutes of basketball talk about life before this happened. Um, So if you want to continue listening, we'll have the start of our predictions podcast there, but we're going to end end the podcast now. And um, again, just hope everyone stays safe and, that this will be resolved without any issue. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower, and we have a special guest on today, Dan Madigan, fellow editor at the UConn blog, former women's basketball writer for the Daily Campus, one of the co-hosts on the UConn pod. Am I missing anything, Madigan? No, that's it. I really appreciate you bringing up my old college resume. Uh, (laughs) Feels good. Happy to be here. 
Yeah, so to this episode of Chasing Perfection, we have finally reached the end of the offseason. So uh, assuming all goes according to plan, this upcoming weekend, we are finally going to have UConn women's basketball. The Huskies are going to kick off the season against Quinnipiac on Saturday at Mohegan Sun. And then barring one of the greatest upsets in women's college basketball history, UConn's going to win and Mississippi State's going to win. And they're going to play in the second game of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame Challenge on Sunday. So we're going to make some predictions for the season, preview how we think the team's going to look this year, and just get ready for the season to start. So some big news that happened. I joked with Megan that for like four episodes in a row, we finished recording, put out the podcast, and then like the day we put out the podcast – some schedule news hits. It's been like clockwork. So this week, what we found out is that SNY is going to broadcast 18 games this year. Most notably, the Quinnipiac game is going to be on SNY for those fans in market. For people who aren't in the SNY market, it's going to be on Flow Sports, which sucks because I've never heard a single good thing about that streaming service. And it's pretty expensive too, especially for one game. And then the first four Big East games are going to be on SNY too. So the rest of the schedule still has to be announced, but it's going to be the same team that was there last year. Alan Bestwick, play-by-play. Friend of the show, Meg Como as the analyst. And then Maria Marino. Obviously a huge part of UConn's move to the Big East because if they stayed in the AAC, most of UConn's games were probably going to get moved to ESPN Plus, which would have been just bad for everybody. So good to see SNY holding on to the games. But yeah, so let's get into the predictions. First, I think we're just going to kind of talk generally about what our expectations are for the season, both with the team, obviously a really young squad for Gino Oriama, and also with the storyline hanging over everything with the COVID epidemic. I think we're up to like another Seton Hall women's basketball just got shut down this week for a positive COVID test. Marquette's been shut down. It's been happening across both the men's and women's teams in the biggies. So things aren't looking great to this point. We'll start with Megan. Just what are you expecting out of this year's team and how do you see the season going? Yeah. So I think one thing for me is that just tapering expectations heading into the season. I think like we've said, they've got a young team and they have a lot of depth, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that depth to develop, especially with the number of freshmen taking that into account. Plus just the fact that this off season has been anything but a standard off season in terms of the amount of time that they've had for practice and being on the court together. Um, so it might just take things a little bit to fall into place. And then you add in the fact that they play two top 10 opponents in the first week of play. So it's a weird off season, a lot of new pieces, and then a really rough schedule to start off. Um, so I think, like I said, this team is going to be good. It just might take some time and no one should be panicking if they lose one or two games in the first week. I think that's the very realistic expectation that that might happen. Um, but other than that, I think as things kind of evolve and we go into conference play, things, they're going to be good. I think come March, you're going to be talking about this team as a definite Final Four contender. And I think the other thing is just obviously no one knows what's going to happen a week from now and the rest of the season in terms of COVID. But hopefully they just get as many games in as possible. I think in UConn's case, more importantly, they get the big games in. Like if they lose conference games, I don't think it's the end of the world. But hopefully they can get those four big non-conference games in without a hitch. and. 
come March, things are in a better state and they can play a normal tournament schedule. Yeah, for sure. And then something with those two possible losses. If that does happen, that'll actually be the first time they lose back-to-back games since 1994, which is, first off, insane, but also kind of makes me think that the odds against losing both games are probably low. But it's also, I can't imagine there's many more times where they've played two top 10 teams back to back. Usually when they lose, they'll like play a non-conference game like last year against Baylor, but then they return against Houston who they have no chance at losing against her. They lose in the NCAA tournament, but then they open with someone relatively easy, like Quinnipiac this year. Like they won't, well, they finished the season on a win last year, but assuming they'd lost in the NCAA tournament and came into this year avoid trying to avoid back-to-back losses, you still have Quinnipiac. It's hard to lose that game. So I think that'll be something interesting to watch. But Madigan, what are your thoughts? It's, it's a really intriguing team. Uh, I'm really fascinated by the backcourt. I'm just really excited to see what Kristen Williams can bring in her third season. And I'm also excited to see two new co- newcomers in Avina Westbrook and Paige Beckers. Um, a lot of hype, obviously, around Beckers, but there's also a pretty good chunk of hype around Westbrook as well. So I'm excited to see what kind of offense they can bring. I think overall they're going to be pretty solid defensively. Uh, between Adota, Williams was solid, and Aubrey Griffin is a great stopper as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how this team gels offensively. And I think, like Megan said, this is going to be such a weird season, right? Games are going to be canceled, you know, maybe hours on hours notice. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the team gels with all that adversity. Uh, but I'm excited to see it come together. And it's hard to think about even getting to March uh, just with the way things are going now, unfortunately. But hopefully they get there. There's probably going to be some bumps in between. Uh, but it'll be exciting to see what this team looks like towards the end of the season, whether that's in you know a few months or a few weeks uh, or maybe somewhere in between. Hopefully it's not a few weeks, but... I that your point about games could be canceled hours before they're supposed to tip off is actually kind of interesting because if you don't follow UConn hockey, which I can't imagine there's a huge overlap between our audience for chasing perfection and the hockey audience, but they were supposed to play Vermont to open the season and on Friday. And then the Sunday before that got canceled because Vermont postponed their games. So then two days before they were supposed to play that Friday game, they learned they were going to play UMass. And then this next weekend, that schedule's already gotten changed. So when you've got a conference that is completely located within New England, where for the most part, all the COVID regulations and I guess guidelines are somewhat similar across all the states, there isn't a ton of variation it's probably not a good sign that that conference is already having a lot of issues when you then look at the big East where it's obviously way more spread out across the country. It's a lot harder to travel by bus, whereas pretty much every trip in hockey East is travel by bus. So I wonder if the big East maybe will adopt something similar where let's say UConn scheduled to play Creighton, but just something happens with that. Could UConn then play Providence in a game that's not counted towards conference play just so that each team can get a game in and they don't possibly go like two or three weeks without playing because of cancellations or anything like that? I think this could be a pretty funky year for a schedule. And I think 20 is obviously the goal, but what's the minimum for NCAA tournament games? I think it's 13, right? 
Maybe, but that could all be thrown out the window this year. Like, you know, this is right. unforeseen well, times. Well, I think if you're not – even 13 seems extremely low. Like, that is not many games at all. That's like a third of a normal season. So, I think if you're playing fewer than 13 games, like, something very, very bad has happened. I think that's kind of the tricky part with this season and just with the way the numbers are going and how many teams are getting shut down. It doesn't look good, but you hope maybe with students leaving campus, I think UConn students left this past weekend for Thanksgiving break. So UConn's campus is just the basketball teams and the hockey teams, I believe. So that's at least kind of a pseudo bubble to put them in, but it's still not good. But I agree that getting back to basketball, this is a really interesting team. If anything, I kind of think they're justifiably underrated, if that makes sense, because you can't have huge expectations for a team that has six freshmen and doesn't really return many players who were key contributors last year. But I think this team might actually be further along than people expect, because I really believe that Kristen Williams is going to be an All-American this year. If you could bet on such a thing, I would, because that just seems like such a solid thing where a player of her caliber is entering her junior year, has, according to what everyone said, has improved on like her fitness, her game, and just the way she approaches the game mentally as well. So she's, in my mind, a lock to be an All-American, barring something unforeseen. I think Olivia Nelson Adota is going to be a lot better, and she was all, already a phenomenal defensive player last year, really good rebounder. If she can just improve her offensive game to be consistent, where she, even if she only scores 12 points a game, if she gets 12 every single game instead of last season where she had 20-point games like against Oklahoma but then also got shut out like against Baylor, if she could just be more consistent, I think that would be huge. And I think just the X factor is this freshman class really seems like it could actually be one of the best Genos ever brought to stores. And I know that is a lot of expectations to put on a group that's never actually played in a game, especially with all the players that have come through UConn. But it seems like there's a legitimate chance that at least three players have pretty sizable roles and the other two scholarship players still seem like they could factor into the mix. So I think I don't know what it'll look like at the beginning. It could be kind of ugly like that Cal game last year to kick off the season, but I don't think it's going to take drastically long as long as this team is consistently getting games in and aren't having to quarantine or be off the court for two weeks or four weeks at a time. I think this team, once they start playing games, is going to come along really quickly and is going to surprise people with how good they are. For sure. And I think even adding to that, uh, if it looks ugly at the beginning, like one, like you said, things will come together. And I don't think that things are going to look pretty for a lot of teams this season. I think I've said this before, but when you look at the top 10, there's just so many question marks on every single one of those rosters, which means the kind of concerns that you raise for UConn in terms of it being a younger new people or like how does all that depth figure out are concerns for every team in that kind of elite tier of teams this season. So like you've got those two teams on the schedule, Mississippi State and Louisville, to start it off, but they should have the same issues kind of going into it. So we can kind of expect that it might be two top 10 teams that both look ugly, but it should be a good game. And even if you come with that, I'm, like I said, I'm not concerned. Yeah, Dan, I, I think another big thing too is that 
this freshman class is really talented, right? Obviously, you know, Aliyah Edwards, maybe the most hyped up prospect in women's basketball history in Paige Beckers, right? And, and there's a few others, you know, in Nika Mule and, and Piaf Gabriel and Mir McLean as well. But there's enough experience there to cobble together a small rotation, which we know Gino Oriama loves early on in the season. So it's not like Paige Beckers or Aliyah Edwards is going to be relied on to score 10 or 15 points and put up, you know, five rebounds and a few blocks for Edwards or assists for Beckers every game. Gino's going to have the opportunity, like he almost always does, to ease these freshmen into the lineup, into the rotation, and have them get comfortable. And we saw that pay off uh, with pretty much every, you know, highly touted freshman that UConn has had. Uh, like I, the Kristen Williams breakout game against Notre Dame came to mind. Obviously, that was her big coming out party, but she kind of fizzled off towards the end of that season. But she still was comfortable. She was playing within herself. Gino wasn't asking her to do too much. And because of that, she was able to thrive in that role and, you know, come up big against one of the best teams in the country. So it's a good mix. I think Westbrook coming back is key. Even though she didn't play last year, she's been around the program. She's used to her teammates. There's still some chemistry there. Uh, I think that's a big deal, too, to just provide some stability in the backcourt alongside Williams, especially with Crystal Dangerfield gone. Right. I think Westbrook's status is really, really big for this team because I think she's the ideal player that you want running the point and being your starting point guard, even if Paige Beckers is as good as advertised, because like you said, it just takes a huge weight off Paige's shoulders where she doesn't need to be in charge of the offense. She doesn't need to make things make sure things are flowing. She doesn't need to be crystal danger field. She just has to go in and make plays and do what she does best out there and not have that weight of carrying the whole offense on her. Because I think, as you mentioned with Kristen Williams, she played a lot as a freshman, but she wasn't their go-to player. Katie Lou Samuelson and Nafisa Collier were their go-to scorers. They were going to score most of the points for that team. Kristen Williams was ever only ever going to be facing the fourth or even fifth option on the other team's defense. So she didn't need to score ever. She just had to take what was given to her. And I think she did that really well. So if Avina's healthy and can be the player that she was at Tennessee, that makes it a lot easier for Paige and Nico Mule to come in and be impact players from the start because they're not trying to do too much. And, then same thing with Aliyah Edwards. If Olivia Nelson Adota's improved enough where she's taking on the bulk of the minutes and she's not getting into foul trouble or having trouble scoring or anything like that, and Edwards can just step in and rebound the ball and play physical down low and just beat up teams in the post, again, that helps her out a ton. And I think we kind of saw that with Aubrey Griffin last year where – they were thin, but they didn't necessarily rely on her so that when they really needed her to have a big game, she just played well instead of it being forced upon her on, in every single game. We always talk about the Seton Hall game, the Tennessee game. Was, was it Temple in the AAC tournament? Yeah, it was Temple. But in between all of those, there were plenty of nights where she really didn't do a whole lot that get swept under the rug because – she didn't need to. They still won. They didn't rely on her for her contributions every single night. Obviously, that's changing now that she's a sophomore, but it opens the door for those freshmen to be able to do the same thing that she had last year. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the one thing that just sticks out to me to like how much of a role the freshmen have to play is that Avina being healthy and at the level she was at Tennessee seems to be a big if to me still because I feel like we haven't heard a lot from Gino about her. We haven't heard kind of much about how she's doing post-surgery. I feel like it's always a little bit shaky in the responses about how she's not at quite there or I don't know. It seems like it's been a while since he's really talked about it in general. But so that part seems like a big if. Like, if she's healthy and at the level she was at Tennessee, like, this team is probably off the bat very good because you've now got a full five players that have experience and can kind of plug into those roles automatically. And you don't need to rely on any of the freshmen. But if Avina's not healthy and at that level, I think you've got a little bit of an if in that point guard position because then do you rely on Paige to just kind of be running that point a lot off the bat? I mean, with all the hype around her, that's probably not that big of a deal that you're relying on Paige Becker as the number one recruit off the bat from the start of the season but um, obviously it's better to have someone with some experience that you can rely on there so I think that's the big question mark in the kind of rotation and who you have to rely on from the start. I'm actually going to drop a take here. We're talking a lot about whether it's going to be Paige or Avina. I think Nico Mule starts a game this season not because someone else is injured, just because she's the best point guard. I think she might actually be that good. Just from the experience that she has in Europe, from the fact that she gets brought up all the time, um, unprompted from the players, Gino, I think she is kind of flying under the radar for the freshman. And even though she has those two ahead of her, I think she still could find find her way into the starting five at some point this season. It might not last, but I think, there will be at least one game where she's in there because of her play, not because of an injury or anything. For sure. And then you can slide either Paige or Avina to the two or three and play kind of a smaller lineup. But Avina's I mean, six feet tall, so you can play a smaller lineup with her as a guard because she's already kind of big. So definitely could see that happening. Yeah, that's a good point, Megan. I think, like, obviously Crystal Dangerfield is one of the best point guards that the program has ever seen, but her size was definitely a limiting factor on defense. And so – there's a lot of big ifs with what I'm about to say here, but if Paige Beckers can play defense at a relatively decent clip as a freshman, which is probably unlikely, honestly, but still possible uh, in the same with West with Westbrook, there's so many defensive options that Gino can use to kind of take different types of teams out. Um, and they were still great defensively last year and with Dangerfield, but having the ability for multiple players to guard either one through four or one through five, it's such a big advantage and it's something that Gino did all the time with those teams, you know, in the Brianna Stewart, Brianna Stewart era uh, with Jefferson uh, when she was either on the bench or, you know, if there was a smaller guard on the other team, it's a huge deal. It's something that is a huge advantage in every level of basketball, men's, women's pros, amateur. So uh, I'm excited to see what they can do defensively with that, especially with an elite shot blocker, like a Dota in the paint. Um, could be really fun. It could be, you know, some, some crazy defensive performances from this team just because they had the size to match up with more teams and more in so many different ways. I'm actually going to disagree there. I'm not super sure how good this team could be defensively. I think Nelson Adota fixes a lot of problems because last year at one point she was on pace to absolutely shatter the shot block record for a season. She kind of fell off that, with her rough stretch in the middle of the year. And obviously I think she'll have trouble getting to that without a full schedule this year, but 
you have her. I think Aubrey Griffin is also really, really good defensively. So you at least have two excellent defenders on the floor. I'm not really sure where Kristen Williams is defensively, if she's going to be just good enough that she isn't a liability out there, or if she's going to be a legitimately good defender. I think there's a lot of question marks with her on the defensive end. On a Makarot, Gino made a joke last year that she said that there's nothing in her letter of intent that says that she has to play defense. So she's obviously an offensive first player. I think her being in better shape this year will help her defensively. But again, I think she's a big question mark defensively as well. And then whoever's in that fifth spot, whether it's Paige, whether it's Avina, whether it's Nika, I'm not sure where any of them are defensively on top of being the one that's probably going to take the opposing team's point guard. So if you're playing a team with really good point guards, you kind of need those players to be on their game. So I, I don't know if there'll be a bad defensive team, but I think I just need to see what it looks like first and see where Makarat and Williams are, because those two are going to be on the court a ton because of their offensive abilities. And even though I think they do have some good players off the bench to play defensively, I don't know how much they'll really be able to factor in. So I feel pretty good that this offense is going to be able to score points pretty easily just with how many options they have and how versatile they are. But for me, the defense is a bigger question mark. And Kristen Williams said that while the offense looks good in practice, the defense is still kind of coming along. So I'm just not super sold on that unit yet. That's fair. I mean, I think Kristen, we saw some decent defense from her last season, kind of making up for when she was struggling on the offensive end. She contributed on the defensive end. But I think, like you said, having Nelson Adota and then having Aubrey Griffin kind of helps you clean up there a little bit just because Nelson Adota is going to be so good on the glass around the rim. And then Aubrey Griffin is just so quick. I, like, I don't think it's that much of a hot take, but she could easily win, I think, a Defensive Player of the Year award in her time at UConn. So I think having those two makes for a really solid defensive foundation. So then you just kind of need the guards to kind of step in and be – decent on the defensive end they don't need to be elite because you've already got two elite defenders um and I think we've seen enough from Kristen Williams to know that she can be that and then like you said we haven't really seen as much from Makarat or um obviously any of the freshmen or Westbrook was just kind of an average defensive player when at Tennessee but I think there's still potential for them to be good defensively as a unit just being anchored by those other two they have a hey Dan. women's basketball Dan. is a positive test. Yep. Yeah, I was just about uh, to say. Why did that uh, have to hit right now? <laughs>